I have felt, heard, sensed more talk about the end of the world the last two years than probably in my life. Anybody there with me? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, whoo, you know, things, things that are happening, warfares, you know, the Bible word for pandemic is pestilence. You know, you read that all through the Bible, all of a sudden this and pestilence, that's what it means, you know, a disease that's, that travels through. And so, and then all the social unrest and you're just going, ah, this feels like the end. And I don't know if it is the end, I can't say that for sure. But here's what I want us to think about. The end makes people crazy. The end of anything makes people crazy. Some of you up here are seniors. In the end of your senior school year, seniors often do crazy things. Senior skip day, prank the principal day, burn words in the lawn with fertilizer day. These are not suggestions. The last day of a job, maybe right before retirement, you're like, yeah, I'm going to file this all backwards because I'm retiring and what can they do to me, right? You're out of there. Or you quit a job. You're like, I'm serving fast food and I'm not washing my hands once today. Too bad, right? You're out of there. It's the end. You can be crazy, right? The end of the world. It can make people do crazy things. Like, well, it's the end. I'm going to cash out the retirement savings and go into Vegas. Just blow it all because it's the end, right? You can get crazy when it's the end. And so I want to talk today about us not being crazy not going off the rails, um, but realizing even in the New Testament, they were saying the end is near. And so we live with a, a sense that the Lord could return at any moment. We live with a sense, we're living in the sense of Jesus saying there's birth pangs, wars and rumors of war and famines in various places and the love of many will grow cold. We're seeing that. We're seeing that. So were they in the New Testament. So it's hard to know a time, but we live with the sense of the end. But this is what I want us to think about today. The end is coming, but we keep loving, hosting, and serving. And so we're going to see that from uh, the book of 1 Peter today. We've completed our 1 Corinthians study, and I've just, this is kind of a standalone message that I wanted to bring to us. But it's this idea that we don't want to go crazy, we don't want to become irrational, we don't want to become hostile, we don't want to become foolish. We want to keep on doing the things that God has called us to do as his people, as his church. And so we're going to see that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 today. So let's look at this section here. It's 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. First Peter's almost to the end, near the back of your New Testament, right after the book of James. All right. First Peter 4, 7 through 11. Let's read this. The end of all things is at hand. See? Right? He's saying it's the end. A couple thousand years ago he said that. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards 
of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so even Peter's telling us the end is near. What do we do? So, all right, the end is coming, the end is near, but we keep loving, hosting, and serving. I know we're kind of jumping into the middle of a whole uh, book of 1 Peter, but I just wanted us to just get just a little flavor of the context and then jump in. The opening of this letter from the Apostle Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and lists a bunch of places. So he's writing to Christians who are under persecution, pressure. They feel like exiles. Right? An exile would be people who have been sent away from their homeland. right? Not the people that have moved, but people who have been forcibly sent away. You can't be here anymore. We're exiling you. We're, we're putting you on that island. We're kicking you out of the country. We're sending you out of this town. You've been exiled. You can't come back. And so here he's saying your elect exiles means God has chosen you and the world has rejected you. So you're not a total exile. You're chosen by God. You've been picked by God. But as far as your experience on earth, you feel like an exile. You feel like an outcast. You feel like I've just been forced to go to some other land and I don't know the language and I don't know the customs and I don't know my way around. And can it feel that way? Do you feel like exiles in your workplace? The things that you believe and hold dear are foreign. Anybody feel that? In your schools, students, you feel like the things that you believe, you're looked at as a crazy person. Right? You can feel that in our society. The things that we hold dear about Christ and, and the scriptures being authoritative can feel like, what planet are you on? And so Peter is writing to people who feel very much what we feel. That we're chosen by God, but we're not home. We're not there yet. We're living in a land that we don't, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't feel like home. So that's who he's writing to. And, and this, he gets to this point here in chapter 4 where I just wanted us to look today when he says, hey, the end of all things is at hand, right? They're living in the Roman Empire. Christians are used for lampposts in the Colosseum and fed to lions. And they're going, this doesn't look good, right? They're, being, they're fleeing, they're running. They're, and uh, so they're feeling like, boy, it doesn't look good. And we can feel like that. This doesn't look good. But he doesn't say go crazy. He doesn't say that. He says two words that are really synonymous, but be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why, isn't that really different than what a lot of times we want to do? So be self-controlled, right? Remain under discipline. And sober-minded is to be really clear thinking. To be clear thinking. And he's saying, I want you to do that, to be in control of your thoughts, in control of your actions, you're calm, you're clear, you're thinking of what's coming, and that's not easy to do all the time. But he says, this is what I want you to do, and uh, he says, for the sake of your prayers. Can you pray when your mind is filled with fear, terror, worry? You probably should pray, but can you pray? This is one of the challenges of living in our time when we have immediate access to every horrible thing at once. 
And it's hard to weigh that out because it is nice to be informed, but you can know immediately what bomb was just dropped, what earthquake just happened, what famine was over here, what murder happened over there. And in seconds, it's hard to be self-controlled and sober-minded when our news feeds just pour in on us. And so I think the end of, thing is all, the end of all things is at hand. So he's saying, get clear-minded. We get clear-minded in the scripture. We get clear-minded in prayer. We have to put our, our phones down for a while and not freak out. And not freak out. So that's the first thing he said. The end, he's, he, they're feeling like the end is at hand. We need to live with a sense that the end is at hand, but not to go crazy, not to go nuts, not to live in utter terror. Be calm, sober-minded, so you can pray and take it all to God. Now this next section, I'm looking at three things that he tells the church to do. Keep loving, I put it keep hosting, and keep serving. But I wanted to give you all some context for why I even went to this passage. And about, was it three weekends ago? Three weekends ago, our um, Pastor Mark and I, our four elders, went to Cedar Springs for a retreat. We weren't even there 24 hours. It was just a quick in and out blast. But I wanted to, Dan shared some of the things that we came home with, but I wanted to lean into it a little more in a sermon. And so this passage will help explain that. But I wanted to give you a little more context of what we were thinking about as we went into this retreat. And so we went out there, stayed in a little cabin. It was great. If you haven't been out there, it's kind of east of Sumas. And... uh, we spend the whole evening just praying through a psalm, sharing highs and lows with us Friday night, and then Saturday morning we got into it. And before we went on this trip, I had all of us listen to this podcast. I've talked about it before, but he's a guy called Mark Sayers out of Australia. He's a pastor, and he does this Rebuilders podcast, and he's very good at cultural analysis. I mean, he's so good that I only know about half of what he's saying. All right, so he like talks in levels and reads things I don't know. But he's been really helpful for understanding what's happening. And what he did a podcast here in January, coming out of the pandemic time, and he said, this is what the world is like now. <laughs> we went from the smooth world of the West to the disrupted, disordered world, where everything is contested, every thought Every idea, it's not smooth, it's not harmonious, it's disrupted and disordered. But what he said the pandemic shined a light on, it didn't cause it, it accelerated it and revealed it in the church that there is a crisis of non-discipleship. Many people in churches who are not becoming disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a learner, a follower who wants to live the life that Jesus lives. So he says, when you have a pandemic, you see a crisis of non-discipleship. When you, you can't meet in person, it goes to video, and people are just gone. Where did they go? I don't know. I'm not talking about you tuning in at home right now because you're not gone. You're tuned in at home. I'm talking about we don't know where they are. We've never heard from them again. It's not just their church participation is gone. Their following of Jesus is gone. Well, what happened? I don't know. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, meaning you're following him and seeking to live the life of Jesus, then if you can't come, you just say, I don't know, I didn't like it anyways, I'm out of here. But we're not disciples of church attendance, we're disciples of Jesus. So he's saying that's one of the things 
that the pandemic revealed is participation and faith in our country and in the West has been declining for several decades. And the pandemic was like gas on the fire. A lot of people, you know what, I'm out. I'm not following Jesus anymore. And so the pandemic didn't cause it. It revealed it and accelerated it. That there's a sense of non-discipleship. My life isn't built around following Jesus. The other thing he said the pandemic revealed in this crisis of non-discipleship is that there was a whole group who have radical individualism. And this is part of the context of the West where individual versus a collective society where the group has more value than, than the individual. Western society, the individual has more value than the group. But radical individualism is the autonomy and sovereignty of the self. Now, I don't want to go too far down the rails because I know everything that happened in the pandemic here was controversial and vaccines and no vaccines and masks and no masks. I don't want to catch that thing on fire again. But what it revealed is it didn't matter for some people what anyone else said. This is what I'm doing. This is my life. No one tells me what to do. I'm talking about people in church now. I'm not talking about our culture. And a disciple of Jesus says that it's not self-sovereignty. Disciples of Jesus have that the kingdom of God is sovereign. The kingdom of God is sovereign, and I lay down my autonomy at the foot of the cross. That's what disciples Jesus do. Because a lot of times, and um, we talk about Jesus as Savior, but Jesus is Savior and Lord. Master, he tells parables and says things like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I'm telling you to do? And so a crisis of non-discipleship reveals that people can believe in Jesus, but will not submit their will to Jesus, will not submit their autonomy to Jesus. It's me, no one tells me what to do. That's not discipleship because Jesus tells us what to do if he's Lord. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and every knee bows to him, Christians willingly say, oh yeah, yeah, not only do I worship you, you're Lord of my life, I lay down my autonomy, I lay down my sovereignty, because you're the king. So a crisis of non-discipleship reveals those kind of things. It reveals people who just weren't really in it that much, they're gone, or it reveals people who are more interested in themselves and their own authority than Jesus and his authority. It just shines a light on that. I might even be poking some of you right now. It's not an intention. This is all Mark say. This is what the podcast was telling us. So we're, we're listening to this. And so the other thing of this radical individualism is that then your faith is up to you. How I interpret the scripture. How I want to worship. It becomes very individualized. But the scriptures talk about one another. Right? We love one another. We serve one another. And so because we were forced apart and forced into individualism, it has created this other problem in the church where we've become isolated and we, we start to lose the ability to interact and lose the ability to serve one another. And we, we lose the ability to have interpersonal contact, con, uh, contact and relationship. And so we cannot grow in isolation. I know we had to be a part, but what we're realizing is we have to increase our togetherness. We have to turn up the heat to make up for some lost time. And so as we met as elders and we talked through that podcast and we read through some scriptures, we just kept coming back to the same thing. Relationship fuels discipleship. If you're all alone, 
you're all alone, you can go a million crazy directions. Because no one else is like, you know, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) Or let's look at that verse again, right? You can just get all alone and then find 50 million YouTube feeds that tell you the same thing. And I've already done a whole sermon about the social dilemma. But the more you click a button, the more the uh, automatic bots say, send them more of that content, right? Type in some kind of conspiracy theory, you're going to get 8 million hits on. Like, it, it's just going to feed you and push you a direction you're already going. But if people are around you, they're like, you know, no, let's, let's not go that way. So we grow in Christ in relationship. When Jesus and Mark called disciples, he said he called disciples to himself that they might be with him and then send them out to preach and cast out demons. The first sentence in there was that they would be with him. There's connection. There's community. When Jesus leaves the earth, he introduces a whole thing called the church. So that was the theme of our elder retreat. When we were analyzing cultural realities, we're looking at some of the crises, and all of us kept saying we need to be more connected. We need one another. Everything we do, we're doing great things, and what we want to do is so relationship and growth together into everything we're doing. That was kind of the main theme that flowed out of that. And so we got, we got to make up for some lost time. We've been isolated. We've been individualized. But we don't want a crisis of non-discipleship. We want to help each other grow with Jesus as Lord and that we're going to help each other go that direction. So that's the context to what we came home with, which when I finished First Corinthians, I said, let's Let's look at some scriptures that talk about that as we want to grow as a relating, loving church. And this passage came up, right? So he said that the end of all things is at hand. Don't go nuts. Be clear-minded so you can pray. And then he gives us three things. The end is coming, but we keep loving. That was in verse 8. Above all, first, of highest values, what that means. Make this the most important value. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, before you do anything else, of top value, keep loving one another earnestly. It means unceasing, continuous. That's always the priority. Jesus leaves us in this legacy of love. He says, you're going to know my disciples when you love. A new command I give to you I love. And all the New Testament is pointing about love one another, love one another. But here he says, the end is at hand. So what do we do? Love one another as the first value in an unceasing way. And then this interesting sense, love covers a multitude of sins. How many of you know somebody who's not in a discipleship, growing church relationship because... They got hurt at church. Anybody? Yeah. How many of you have had some of the worst things said to you by someone at church? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, God knew this. I'm going to stick a whole bunch of people together and watch what's going to happen. They're going to poke each other, and they're going to run at each other raw, and they're going to say a mean thing, and they're going to get tired of the other one, and that one's going to grate on their personality, and that one's going to believe a whole different political thing than that other one. He wasn't surprised by that, but he said if you love one another, it can cover over all that. It can cover over an offense. It can cover over someone mistreating you. It can cover over someone neglecting you and wronging you. It doesn't mean there might not be a process to work it through. 
But it's going to happen. We're going to offend each other. We're going to say mean things to each other. We're going to do something hurtful to one another. But if we're built around love, he says, it will just cover over that. You'll be able to work through it. Put up here 1 Corinthians. We just were there. But of course, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, says, Love is patient and kind. If we're saying above all, we're going to love one another, and we're patient and kind with one another, you can, you can, make, you can get through a lot of problems, can't you? Just going to be patient. Love does not envy or boast. It's not going to be about me or wanting what you have. It is not arrogant or rude. But if we're loving one another, and if someone ends up being arrogant or rude, and we say, I'm just going to love them anyways, we can just settle that. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. So I'm just going to keep coming back, even if that person messed with me or hurt me or doesn't. I'm just going to keep, believes all things. You have this idea that God's going to work in their life, so I'm going to be patient. Hopes all things. Right? There's this idea we're looking to God's future so we can hang in there. Endures all things. We love one another. We're going to push past offenses, troubles, trials, struggles. We're going to love. What do we got here? Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Right? And so that's the charge. No matter what we think, no matter if we've been hurt or wronged or have massive disagreements about things, but we say, I love you, and I care about you, I'm going to be patient with you and endure with you, and, and uh, we're going to just get through this. It's It's amazing. It's amazing to watch something you can be so fired up about, and they said this thing to me, and then they just say, it's someone you see them, and they just say, hey, how are you doing? I was praying for you this weekend. That can just melt. You can just melt it. Versus if they come in all fired up and angry, it just stirs it, right? Hatred stirs up strife. We can push buttons, but if we love, we can just... So I thought it was a beautiful picture. It's not going to be perfect. We're not all going to agree. We're not all going to like the same things. But if we love one another, it can create this amazing, beautiful church. And I think we have that. I think it's going to grow more and more that we keep loving. Yeah, the end of all things is here. I don't know when the last day is. But above all, let's love one another. Next one, the end is coming. We keep loving. Oh, that was the first one. The second one, the end is coming, but we keep hosting couldn't come up with a better verb than that. I tried. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another. That's where I came up with hosting, hospitality. Without grumbling. Show hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality is the idea of welcoming people, receiving people, connecting with people. But again, God knows our hearts. They're like, oh, you invited them over? Ah, oh, they're a pig. They eat everything. They make a mess. Oh, I don't want to go to coffee with that guy. He just talks and talks and talks and never asks me any questions. Uh, I have no one in particular in mind when I'm saying, just being silly. Um, right? Isn't that, isn't God know our hearts? Like, yeah, you're going to have some people over. Oh, man, now I've got to clean the house. And, ah. But... Isn't that interesting? I mean, when you're thinking it's the end of all things, Peter's not like, run out and scream the Bible from the middle of your city square. He's like, no, be hospitable. Isn't that, when you think, no, the end of all things is at hand. We should just be going, no, love each other. 
Welcome some people into your house. Meet someone for coffee without grumbling. Listen to the story even if you heard it before. Right? And this is just exactly what happened when the church was formed. And this is, gets read all the time. I just want to see it again in Acts chapter 2. This is exactly what they started doing. It says this is when the church was first born after the Holy Spirit's poured out. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Like we want to be together. To the breaking of bread. So they'd eat in each other's homes, share the Lord's table, and to prayers. They'd pray together. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So they shared all their possessions and goods. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It was just the natural outcome of being in Christ was then let's be together. We want to be with God's people. And so that's something we just want to encourage like crazy, connecting with one another. Have you ever just been around a situation where someone was so welcoming and it made it so enjoyable? This was a few weeks ago. We did a 13th. My son Titi turned 13. So he's like, he's working on the mustache and wanted to do something manly. We're like, all right. So his request was, to go to a shooting range and shoot some guns. I, I don't really have guns. At least the one I have doesn't work. So, um, but some other dads came in and came through and brought like an arsenal. So we're at this uh, shooting range on Whidbey Island, and we're just you know it was you know lots of safety talks and high level threats. And uh, you know we're not doing this. You're not pointing that anywhere but over there. A lot of that. And um, but this other guy was in the range, and this guy was so nice. I mean, he had enormous guns, so everybody treats him nice. But, uh, but he was just so nice. You, you come to the range, and there's four middle schoolers. A lot of people are like, oh, really? i got to put up with this today, right? But he wasn't. He was worked right in between us. And then he's like, here, come over here and try this thing. And we were shooting off these enormous guns, and he was just so nice and so welcoming and willing to share and, and all this. It was just really cool. It was just really cool. And so you can do that without the guns, but, uh, or with guns, whatever you're into. But just that idea, it's so amazing when you host somebody, when you welcome somebody, when you greet somebody. So we did this oh, about two weeks ago, and I want to do it again. One of the things we're wanting to do to facilitate more connecting is to make sure we have your info, and then we want to print out a paper directory with names, phone numbers, so that you can call up and go to coffee. So you can do it. If you did it two weeks ago, great. But if you haven't done it, would you just take a moment? You can scan the little QR code in front of you, or there's a piece of paper on the seat. And you can just make sure, even if you think you've never moved, if you, would just, if you haven't done it yet, just fill that out right now. You can either do the digital or the paper. Give us your updated info. We want to make sure we have everybody's right. There is a place on there if you say, no, I don't want to be in the directory. I don't want my number listed. Just check that. That's okay. We, we don't want to put it out if there's any reason that, that that shouldn't be public, and there are good reasons for that. So please, if you don't want to be in the directory, fill that out and say, no, don't print my name. I have a reason. Don't do that. But if you, ha- if you would just take a minute and do that. And what we want to see is just this whole 
growth in hosting, right? For so long, we couldn't gather. It might not have been safe to gather, but we want to. So I just want to encourage as much creativity as possible. If you've got no money, meet for a walk. If you enjoy going out to a meal, invite somebody with you, right? You're going to eat 21 of them this week. If you're a hobbit, it's like 42, but, uh, right? You're going to eat meals. Think, could I eat one of those with somebody from church? Can I eat one of those meals with somebody else? We just, and, and, or meet for coffee, or if you're like, I can't go anywhere, I'm not mobile, just call up an old-fashioned phone call, how are you doing? And what we want to do is in a few weeks start having you just tell the stories. We want to just, in a few weeks, hear some stories from you. I had so-and-so over. I didn't grumble at all the whole time there in my house. And this is what God was doing. But we just want to hear stories of creativity. Whatever you come up with, meeting at parks, meeting for a walk, meeting for coffee, making phone calls. We want to grow back in this area because it's critical to our discipleship is hosting one another, being hospitable to one another, welcoming one another. And it was one of the commands. It's the end of the world. Love, host, welcome, be hospitable. And if you're not a cook, there's nothing wrong with something from Costco. Don't feel any praise. Got to pull something out of the freezer. That's okay. All right. We wanted this spring to spring toward one another. So come up with the ideas and let's make it happen. Even today, before you leave, grab somebody. Say, hey, let's go eat. Okay, so we've got the end is coming. And the last one is we keep serving. We keep serving. So you see it there in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The word for gift is the root word is grace. It's the word for grace. So you've received a gracious gift. You've received something from God to be used. So as each one has received a gracious gift. God has graciously put something into your life. And he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So those, that language that you were given a gracious gift... It's a result of God's grace, and to be a good steward means you don't own it. It means you just take care of it on behalf of its owner. So whatever God has put into your life, he's saying, I want you to use that gracious gift that he's put into your life to serve one another. And that's a good steward of God's grace because God is the serving, giving God. So he gives a couple examples, right? Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. But we just did that today, didn't we? I mean, there was no flippant attitude about that. People read the scripture with great reverence, emotion. It was beautiful. It was beautiful to hear it be read that way. That you think, God graciously worked this verse in my life this week or this morning, and you read it out with this sense that this is actually God's word and we want to hear it. So that's something I encourage you to do is to say, if I have a verse, this doesn't mean whoever stands up and preaches every week, it's just whoever, whoever speaks. If God's got a verse for you, a word, a scripture for you to share, say, I'm going to give you something as if it's from God. Isn't that amazing? Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Sometimes we are tired. Sometimes we are weary. And we're going to come serve at church or serve another person. And you say, God, help me do this. 
I need help. I want to serve them with my gift, whatever it is, but I need help. And so he does that. He says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And amen. It's just this amazing principle that when you make it about you, you come up empty. When you make it about God and serving him, you come up full. There's just something, I, there's just no way around it. Like, I want to be served, and I want someone to do this thing for me, and it just doesn't work. And you say, God, how can I serve somebody? You're going to come up full, and the bonus here is that God is glorified. It shines a light on him because you realize, I did this because of God's work in my life, his grace to give me a gift. I'm exercising it through God's power, and all the glory goes back on God, and it just retells the story of the gospel, that God sent his son to us to serve us and to die on the cross. And when you serve by the power that God supplies, it retells that story. So the end is coming, but we keep serving. It's easy to be like, the end's coming, so it doesn't matter anymore. We don't have to do that thing anymore. He's like, no, serve all the more. Serve one another. Serve a neighbor. Serve a church. Find a way to serve. So there they are. The end is coming. We keep loving one another. We want to host one another. We want to really emphasize that the next two months. Would you find a way to host somebody, welcome them, and and whatever way works with you, your schedule, your resources, and serving one another. I was trying to think of some final thoughts here, and this is one that came to me. We have to give it first. And I was thinking about this. I've seen this on a number of occasions, visiting people in hospitals or nursing homes. And I've not been in a nursing home, so this, I don't want to say this is a judgment. I have not stayed in a nursing home. I've been to lots of them. But I've observed people, and I know if you're there, you don't want to be there, and it can be hard. But I've observed people who are really mad. And they're mad with, and they speak harshly to the people coming into their room. And this didn't work right in the hospital, and they're not answering, and they're mad. And they get very poor care, <laughs> Because who wants to go into their room? And the nurse doesn't want to go in that room. They're going to holler at me. And the doctor, can, they don't want to go in their room. And then you see people, and they just thank them for everything. Oh, thank you for sticking me with that 10th IV. Thank you. Right? I, but they're just so thankful. Thank you for taking care of me. And they come, and the nurse will come in around there, and like, oh, this is the nurse. She's been taking care of me, or he's been taking care of me. And they're just so thankful. They're like, oh, thank you so much. And they bring you the food. Oh, thank you for bringing the food, even though that's their job, even though they're bringing everybody the food. There's just this, oh, thank you so much. And they get served, right? The, the, there's probably like a fight in the, at the nurse's station. No, I want to go in and see this guy. No, I want to go in and take care of her. No, you get grumpy down the hall. I'm taking this one. They're friendly. I don't know if that happens. I've never been a nurse or worked in any of these environments. But I just, I've just observed that. Because a lot of times we think, I want to be loved. I want to be taken care of. I want to be hosted. I want to be a part, and we're, we're looking for it. But when you give it out first... I'm amazed how it comes back around. And so I say that, you know, I don't want us to hear the sermon. You're like, all right, somebody better ring me up. I'm ready for lunch, right? No. <laughs> if you give it first, I think it comes around. Just like if you're in a tough spot and you're like, I'm going to bless first and I'm going to use kind words first. 
but it's going to just kind of come around and we're going to get covered. But if we're like waiting, give it to me now, love me now, you just never get there. You're going to get the reverse. And so I say that to just urge us to be kind of starters. Like you call somebody first, you serve first, and just watch it come around. Watch it come around. And that's the example of Jesus, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went first. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much. Lord, we do 